Well, good morning. Uh, as Blake said, uh, my name is Jacob Smith. I uh, have been working with junior high at Anderson for the past three years, but as of two weeks ago, I am now the Southwood Youth Director. Uh, and Blake asked that since many of us here at Southwood don't actually know who I am or we've never interacted, I thought I'd tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, first of all, I am actually a true College Station knight. Uh, through and through. I was born here in College Station to two lovely parents named Murphy and Kathy Smith, uh, who were very much in love with each other and uh, with those little stickers you could put on photos back in the early 90s. Um, They're great, and they actually came to Southwood. They attended Southwood from for about three years. They helped lead the Joshua class, the Adult Bible Fellowship that is going on, I think, right now. Uh, I also have two sisters. I grew up with two sisters named uh, Tracy and Hannah. I also grew up confusing the idea of smiling with proving you have teeth in your mouth. Um, but that's okay. You know, I, I learned eventually. But they're great. They actually both live in town. They have two little baby girls, Penelope and Catherine, who are a joy to be around. When I grew up and reached the school age, I started going to Brazos Christian School in Bryan. And it was there that I met this guy named Ben Biles, <laughs> who is actually one of our youth interns this year uh, at Anderson, and it's going to be really great. Even though apparently in kindergarten, he always looked like he had just swallowed a grasshopper. Uh, <laughs> he was able to move past that, and now he looks very normal. So... <laughs> We're all very proud of the strides he's taken. Uh, but I went to BCS all the way up t- until middle school when I started attending College Station Middle School over on Rock Prairie. And I moved from there to a Consolidated High School over on 2818. And it was at high school, my sophomore year actually, that I talked with my old friend Ben Biles and he invited me to go to his youth group. He invited me to go play a video game with all these guys from his church. And so I went with him and we played Halo and it was great blowing each other up for Jesus. And we had a great time. I, I liked him and I, I liked the other guys around. And they were these like college guys that were really cool. And we just had a great time. And so because of that, he invited me to go play Ultimate Frisbee with him. And so I did that. And then he invited me to come to Bible study. And I was like, okay. And I started going to Bible study and I started going to Sundays. And eventually my family saw how awesome this youth group was. And the church that we had been attending didn't have a very strong youth group at the time. And so they decided, you know what, as a family, we're just going to switch so that Jacob and Hannah can have this youth group to plug into. And so my sophomore year of high school, my family changed over to Grace. And as I started going to Bible studies and Sunday mornings and events and all that stuff my sophomore year of high school, I had a completely new view of church. I suddenly didn't see church as just this place where you show up and stand around and sit down and then stand back up again and then say hi to someone and immediately forget their name. Like that, that, was, my, that was my experience with church. But suddenly... I knew what church was really about. I knew the secret. The real reason that church existed was so you could have fun. So that you could just hang out and bro it up and maybe talk about God a little bit. But there was also all this fun stuff that you would do, like play games and shoot stuff. That was church. Church existed so that you could go have a good time. And hopefully some of you right now are thinking, no, that doesn't sound right. Good. (laughs) 
good. You passed the test because I was completely wrong, right? That was a horrible view of church, but that's what I saw it as. I saw church, you just, you hang out, you have fun. That's what church was. And you know what? A lot of us sitting here this morning, we have a lot of different views on what church is. Maybe for you, church was where your parents took you when you were a kid. And so now it's where you take your kids on Sundays. Or, Or maybe for you, you just really like learning about God and sort of the theology aspect. And that's what you really love and care about. And so you go to church because that's where people talk about that stuff. Or, or maybe for you, church is just one location on this long list of places that you're trying in order to find answers for questions that you have about life and the universe and what it's all about. I don't know where you are specifically this morning, but I can tell you that this morning we are going to figure out what church is all about because God clearly tells us in scripture. If you would go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter one. And while you're turning, quick recap for you guys. We have been actually studying the essentials of Christianity this entire summer. If you've been coming to Southwood or going to Anderson, we've been studying essentials, the essentials of the Christian faith, all the way from the attributes of God to eternal security. And most recently, we've been talking about the resources that God has given us to empower us during our lives here on earth, to help us out. Two weeks ago here at Southwood, we talked about the Spirit of God. We talked about how God has given us His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to indwell within us and to help and to guide us and illuminate Scripture and all these different things. Last week at Southwood, we talked about the Word of God, how He has given us Scripture to show us the way and to give us these principles to apply to our lives. Well, this morning, we're talking about the body. We're talking about the body of Christ, which is the church, and how that is another resource that just brings it all together and helps us out. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. It says this, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, being Christ's body the fullness of him who fills all in all. If you read more of Paul in 1 Corinthians, he says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Paul tells us that, you know what? Church can be referring to this grand universal body of believers. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about this one body. When you look in scripture, you'll find church referring to two different things. The first and probably the one that we most often think of is the term church can refer to a specific group of believers, like the church in Corinth or the church in Jerusalem or the Grace Bible Church of College Station, right? But Paul points out, as do other people in the Bible, points out that Church can also refer to the universal church. The idea that all Christians, anyone who has stopped and decided to put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, you are part of this universal church. You are a fellow believer. In the spirit of showing you pictures of everyone that I know, this is a guy named Kevin Rund, okay? You'll notice in this picture, besides the fact that he's crushing Lance Sims' head with tongs, and one of our leaders, Matt Wilkins, is staring directly into your soul through this picture. Uh, Kevin Rund is the guy in the middle, and he has an awesome beard. Uh, It's full and dark and just 
everywhere and scratchy, right? So everything you want, everything you want from a beard, he's got it. And he's told me before that because of this beard, he has gotten to experience a whole new world here in, just in life. It's amazing. He said he goes to Walmart, Target, just shopping around, and he'll randomly walk by some other guy that has a beard, and the guy will just sort of stop and be like, hey man, nice beard. Doesn't know the guy, random compliment. He told me that he'll be at restaurants with the cashier. And the guy will say, hey, I like your beard, dude. (laughs) And they fist bump. And there's no connection. He doesn't know who this guy is. It's just out of nowhere. Just because this other guy has a beard and Kevin Run has a beard, suddenly they're connected. Kevin Run says that he is somehow magically joined, without even realizing it, the beard club. And it goes across all races and people in the entire world. Apparently, if you have a beard and it looks good, then you're part of the club. Whether you realize it or not, it, it happens. I mean, in the same way, if you stop, realize you're a sinner, and that you know that Jesus Christ is the only way to reach forgiveness for those sins, you know that he's the only way that you can find your way to God, and you put your faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of those sins, you are part of the club, which is awesome. It's great. Many of us sitting here right now are a part of this body, this church, this club. And it's a great, great place to be. The Bible gives us lots of life, real life examples describing this church. In John, Jesus says that the church is like sheep. Later on, he says that the church is like branches. Later on, he says, or Paul says in Ephesians that the church is really, we are citizens of heaven. He goes on to say that we are the bride of Christ. You will find so many more examples that I'm not even giving you right now if you look through scripture. All of these descriptions of what the church is. And over and over and over again, it's these examples and these analogies and these cool things. Which, if we're going to be completely honest, when I first looked at this list, uh, which Brian Fisher actually delivered or gave me, uh, it, it looks kind of weird, right? Yeah, it, it does. Because you look at this and you're like, well, sheep, I, I think that's like the worst animal ever, right? They, they have no natural defense mechanism other than like run off the cliff before the wolf can catch them, all right? Uh, branches, like that's an inanimate object that grow like we're farmers or the citizens of heaven like we need to learn another pledge of allegiance or like a bride of christ like when jesus has a bad day we're supposed to write him an encouraging note and put it in his lunchbox like i or put on the bathroom mirror like i what 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 do these things entail right because you you see these and you're like i i don't i don't know if i want to wear a wedding dress right like it it doesn't quite (laughs) click but in reality, when you read these and, and you go in and you look at the context, man, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. When, you, when Jesus calls us his sheep, he describes himself as the good shepherd who will love us and care for us and find us when we're lost and help us when we're sick. When he calls us branches, he calls himself the good vine. And that if we abide in him as branches do in a vine, then we will produce fruit And it will be beautiful, this beautiful relationship where we abide in Christ and he produces through us. When Paul calls us citizens of heaven, he's talking about how we don't belong on this earth, which is great because this earth is terrible. This earth is broken. But that instead we belong in this heaven, this amazing place where there's no more tears and there's no more sadness and there's no more pain. And that's what we have to look forward to. 
And when he calls us the bride of Christ, he's saying that, man, we are loved and cherished by Christ. The Lord of the universe loves us. And he longs to be reunited with us as a groom does with his bride. And this is an amazing, amazing thing. And those of us that have put our faith in Christ, this is us. This is what we have. This is what we're a part of. And that's a beautiful thing. But if you've ever been in a group or, or a club or an organization, you'll know that, man, it's great. There are lots of perks with being in a club, but there are also responsibilities. There are also expectations. And while you can become a member of this body through faith alone, no work's necessary, once you're in, God asks us to live for him. He asks certain things of us that we're about to hit. He gives us a purpose as a church, as a club, as sheep, as branches. There is a specific purpose that God has given us. And he spells it out clearly in scripture. We don't have to sit around wondering, oh, what am I supposed to do now? He tells us clearly, very, very clearly in Ephesians 3, verse 8. Turn over a couple pages. Ephesians 3, verse 8. Paul explains the purpose of the church with this. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Jesus Christ, our Lord. The amazing part of this passage that lots of pastors will bring you to when talking about the church, because Ephesians, in these few chapters, Paul very clearly talks about the church. You'll find it over and over and over again. And one of the most beautiful things about this specific passage is that Paul not only tells us what the church is supposed to do, but he tells us, guess what? This is always a part of God's plan. That's awesome. He says that there was an eternal purpose, this plan that God had before the beginning of time for the church. We're not plan B. We weren't just backup that he called in, right? God didn't see Jesus going down to the earth to reach his people and wasn't shocked when they killed him, right? Gosh, that'd, that'd be terrible, right? God knew that they would reject Christ. God knew that the Jews would hate Christ, that they would murder him on a cross. He knew that, and he planned accordingly because he created this plan so that the church would be used, remember, to preach, to preach to the Gentiles, to bring to light these certain aspects of God, to make known the manifold wisdom of God. God has created this eternal plan that the church would exalt him and praise him and lift him up to bring him to light so that the others around us will see it so that the believers and the non-believers around us would be drawn to this God that we are singing the praises of. It's not just so that we can feel fulfilled or feel like we're doing a good job. It's so these other people would know God better. We lift up God for the sake of those around us. That's the purpose of the church. And Jesus says the exact same thing. Matthew 22, Jesus gives what is often called the great commandment. He says this, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Basically, a guy comes up to Jesus and he asks him, hey, so you claim to be the son of God. You claim to know God and be sent from God. So, so tell, me, tell me this. Tell, answer the greatest question of, of all time. What's the meaning of life? What is it? What's the big point? What, what is the meaning? What, what is the purpose behind all this? What am I supposed to do? Why am I here? And Jesus tells them very clearly two things. God, people. Love God, love people. That's it. He boils it down to two simple things. When I was in high school, I had a buddy who loved being outdoors. Loved it. He loved water skiing and mountain climbing and just anything outdoors. He loved it. And when we would go to the lake, he would get up and he'd be wakeboarding. He was really good at it and, you know, doing flips and and riding. And eventually he'd get tired or uh, get some sort of concussion from hitting the water over and over again. And so he would come back up to the boat and he would kind of climb in. And every time, every time he would turn to me, he'd be like, Jake, Jake, man. Say, what, what is it? What is it, Jonathan? He goes, man, the wakeboarding, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. I was like, oh, all right. Okay, Jonathan. And one day he went to Colorado for this uh, backpacking trip. And, and I remember hanging out with him for the first time after he got back into town. And he came back and he said, hey, man, Colorado, man, that backpacking trip, awesome. You know what, Jacob, Colorado? what it's all about. <laughs> Colorado. Sure enough, he went there for school, so good job. But Colorado, that's what it's all about. And I remember specifically one time sitting on a back porch, or actually we were at a friend's house and we we're sitting on the balcony watching the sunset, because, um, you know, that's what guys do when they hang out. Uh, <laughs> but as we were sitting back there, looking at this beautiful sunset, probably you know, hands on each other's shoulders or something. I don't know. He turned to me. He leaned in kind of close and said, Jacob. It's like, man, this, this is what it's all about. I said, Jonathan, what? Balconies or sunsets? I, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff going on right now. He said, Jacob, both. <laughs> I was like, okay, good to know, right? And that's where he, man, but that was his thing. Every time he really enjoyed something or loved it, he was like, man, you know what? This is it. He reassessed the compass of his life so many times. He's like, well, this is what it's all about. Whoops. Oh, no, wait, wait, that is, this is it. And man, if you go out into the world, you can talk to a hundred people and you'll get 200 opinions on what the world is all about. You'll get a million answers for why we're here or what life is for. Some people will tell you that life, man, the point of life is just to go out and find happiness and fulfillment, whether that's in a job or sports. You just need to feel good about where you are. That's, that's what life's all about. And some people will tell you, no, 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 no. It's all about a legacy. It's all about going out and living a life that other people can look at and be like, yeah, I want to be that guy. You leave a good legacy so that people remember you fondly. I have a couple nieces who are each about a year old, or one's a year old and one's a, a couple months. And if you ask them in baby talk what the purpose of life is, they would tell you, eat, poop, sleep. That's it. Because that's just what they believe. You can go out and, and maybe for some of us here in College Station, Texas right now, the, the real life, man, it's 
figuring out whether the Aggies are going to join the SEC or not. <laughs> Just, gosh, that's, that's what it's about. Finding out, go on Texas and find that stuff. You know, like th- that's what we think. And you can go to a million people. They will tell you so many different things about what life is about. But you know what? When someone asked Jesus Christ, Lord of the universe, creator of all, what life is all about, he told them two things, God and people. And, and that's the opinion that I want to listen to. That's who I'm going to trust. God and people, not balconies and sunsets. Those are nice, but it's not what it's all about. God and people, love God, love people. And that's true for non-Christians. Man, that's true for Christians. And Jesus is saying this for us as the church, as his body. We are supposed to be living the life that he would have led here on earth. And that needs to be our priority. God and people. And Jesus doesn't say that just once. Man, he keeps going. And that was the great commandment in Matthew 28. Jesus delivers what is often called the great commission. Jesus is about to rise into heaven. He's leaving earth. He's having the very, the very last conversation he'll ever have with his disciples in person is right now in Matthew 28. And this is what he tells them. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus, again, clearly lines out, you know what this is about? You know what I really want you to do? Go out, follow me by making other people follow me. Go out, make disciples. Go out, teach people how to obey me. Obey me by making other people obey me. Follow me by having other people follow me. That is the point. Jesus didn't start to rise up into heaven and tell them, hey, look, remember, go home, turn on some Chris Tomlin music, open up a box of communion wafers, open up your prayer journal, and have a quiet time, right? That's not what he said. He wasn't rising into heaven. Don't forget the prayer journal. (laughs) That wasn't it. Instead, he said, go out, people. Now, are quiet times important? Yes. Did Jesus talk about that at other points in his ministry? Yes. Did Jesus live by example, by going off into the mountains and spending time with just him and God because he knew that's the only way we can make it through life? Yes. Quiet times are very good and very important. But it's not what Jesus' last commission was. I don't know if you've noticed this with speakers, but generally you can boil everything in their talk down to the last like two sentences. I'm going to do it this morning. People do it all the time because we know that ultimately if you really want someone to take something away from your message or from, from your talk, you better end on it. You better make sure it's the last thing they hear you say. Jesus knew that if there was anything his disciples were going to take away from the three years that they spent with him, if there was anything that they could get, this is what he wanted them to get. This is what he wanted them to take away. He wanted them to understand that the real purpose of their lives, after they have already accepted him as their savior, their real purpose, their number one priority should be going out and finding other people and bringing them to Christ. To obey Christ, to exalt God for the sake of others to lift God up so that other people, believers and non-believers alike, would come and build up towards God. That's the purpose. Jesus knew it, and Paul knew it. Turn over like a page to Ephesians 4, verse 15. 
says this, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Paul again tells us, look, we are called as Christians to build up, to grow in all aspects into him, to grow and strengthen our relationship with Christ. And a lot of times we use this passage to talk about how everyone is a different piece. Someone is an eye, someone is an ear, someone is a mouth, and all of us together from the body. And we need each other and, and each other needs us, right? That's what Brian taught about last week. And that's very true. It's very true. It's, it's in this passage. But there's another principle, another very key principle, not just that we need each other as Christians. True, yes. That's not the only thing. The the other thing that we see is he tells us to grow up. Why? Why? Because that's how the body builds itself up in love. That's why. We grow with Christ so that the body would build up and grow. We exalt God. We follow God for the sake of others. Paul says it. Jesus says it. This is why we exist. And people before me have picked up on this. This isn't some magical revelation time with Jacob, right? This isn't my thing. For a long time, the church has known this, and they've summed it up in three simple E's, the purpose of the church. The first is to exalt God. The second is to edify believers. And the third is to evangelize the lost. Basically what I've been saying, only broken down a little further, right? We are called to exalt God for the sake of others, for the sake of building up believers, and for the sake of drawing in the lost, the non-believers. That's why we exalt God. That's why we exist as a church. That's why we're here. And the great thing is that a lot of us have already kind of picked up on that, even if we didn't put it in the three E's, even if we didn't realize what we were doing, a lot of us have picked up on it. When I was in high school going to Bible studies, I had two college-age leaders. That's the way the youth group works here, Grace, at Southwood and at Anderson. You have two or three college-age leaders who are assigned to a particular grade, and they follow that grade up until one of them graduates, either the college student or, or the kids. And when I started in sophomore year, I had two leaders who followed me up all the way until I graduated. One of them was a guy named Clayton Lusky, who's an amazing man, has a baby and a wife, and lives in Houston. And the other was a guy named Chris Pletcher, who, if you didn't know, was the youth director here at Southwood from the day that it opened until two weeks ago. He worked here for three years, But before that, he worked with me. He was my leader in high school. And he was amazing. Him and Clayton both were amazing men. They would lead our Bible studies. They would hang out with us on Sundays. They would invite us to go out for coffee. We'd go over to their house and play video games. We'd go out and play Ultimate Frisbee. We would do all these things together. We we would hang out. It It was awesome. And through it all, as I was interacting with them, uh, in the back of my mind, I, I was just sort of thought, oh, yeah, well, of course you want to hang out with us because we're awesome, right? I'm a sophomore in high school. Of course you want to hang out with me, college student, right? Because <laughs> I'm fun. <laughs> Duh. Like, what else would you do, right? You probably sleep at the church. Like, that's all you do, right? That's what I assumed. I assumed, well, of course you're doing these things because you love us, and that's awesome. And yes, they did love us, but there was one particular evening, my junior year of high school, we were having Bible study. And at this particular Bible study, we were sitting around in a living room. And in my group of guys, in my grade, we actually had about 20-something guys, which is pretty big, pretty, pretty big group. 
So because that's a little harder to control. And it was extra hard to control because we as a junior class were horrible people, okay? (laughs) Terrible, 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 terrible. We were mean and we would make fun of our leaders. And this one particular night we were talking about respect, which was ironic because as we're sitting around and talking about these things, no one was listening. Like some guys are like taking phone calls and like walking off in the middle of the Bible study. Like, oh yeah, I'm not doing anything. What's, what's going on? Right. In the middle of the lesson and we're sitting around and, and at one point Chris turned to one of my uh, friends and he said, Hey, listen, you've really got to You got to be quiet. Be quiet. And I specifically remember the guy turning back to Chris and saying, you be quiet. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. And in that moment, right, a few of us kind of realized, okay, that might have been a little across the line, right? Like, we're not paying attention, but at least we're not, like, antagonizing him. And actually, at that moment, we were a little bit worried that Chris was going to jump up and, like, you know, beat him to death or something, you know, something reasonable, a reasonable response to being told such, you know, disrespect. And so, as we're sitting there, we're, like, we're all just kind of waiting, like, ah, oh, all right. But instead, instead of Chris rising up and just being, God, are you tired? Instead, he got really quiet, which was worse, right? And he just kind of calmed down, kind of brought it in. So at this point, we're all ready. And he said, okay. Okay. I said, all right, fine. If you guys don't want to pay attention, it's cool. This time is whatever you make of it. You want to do this, it's over. Bible says over. You can do whatever you want which is not what you want your leader to say, right? A lot of us in that moment were suddenly just, huh? Like shocked. We didn't know how to react. Some of them kind of like got up and went to go get snacks from the kitchen because they just figured they should eat something, right? Some guys who were only there, they were there for the social aspect and they didn't really care about the lesson. So they, they left. They got in their cars and they left. And then others of us who were a little bit more concerned with Chris, who was still just sort of sitting silently, we kind of went over and Tried to talk to him, like, Chris, yeah, it's, it's okay. It'll be all right, right? Like Simba trying to awaken Mufasa after the stampede. Hey, come on, man. We'll listen, right? We'll listen to you now. But he, he was just silent. Put your paw over me or something. Come on. Because we didn't know what to do. We're like, this doesn't make sense. He's our leader and he should be loving us and talking and he's supposed to just get onto us but then move on with the lesson. But he didn't. He stopped. And eventually, 20 minutes later, Chris kind of pulled it together and was like, okay, everybody come back in the living room. And he apologized, which he didn't need to because, again, we were horrible people and deserved everything that he did. But he apologized and kind of wrapped up the Bible study and life went on. And that was, you know, that was the end of the Bible study. Not typical. If you want to send your kids to youth, please do. That's not what normally happens, but that's what happened that night. And it was in that night, it was in that moment that something inside of me clicked. Something inside of my mind shifted. I went from this view of church as just this fun place. You go to hang out or, you know, whatever. Uh, And you've got these leaders who they just hang out because, you know, it's fun. And suddenly I realized, wait, Chris, no, he, he doesn't have to be here. He, he chooses to be here. That, that's what suddenly I realized. I was like, wow, like we are horrible people and treat him like dirt. And yet he chooses to hang out with us. He has other things he could be doing, but he's not. 
And it was so, that commitment ran so deep that in fact, when he graduated our junior year of high school, he stuck around for an extra year and worked at Starbucks with a college degree, an accounting degree, because he wanted to be close to us and help us finish out high school. And suddenly I realized when he went and took us to dinner or he went and led our Bible studies or he went and hung out with us on Sundays or when he dressed up like a rapper and rode a Harvey, Harley Davidson motorcycle into the college auditorium over at Anderson for a youth event. Youth, I know, it's crazy. But when he did all these things, it was because he was choosing to do so and he did it for us. And it wasn't because he loved us, right? Like he did, he did love us, but that's not enough to motivate you to put up with all that. I'll just put that out there right now. He didn't just love hanging out with obnoxious, disrespectful high schoolers. That wasn't it. He loved God and he was following God and he was exalting God for the sake of me and for the sake of the other juniors and the other seniors. He did it for us. So, that was so amazing. And that was such a, an example of just the body building itself up. Because you know what? When he loved us so well, that meant that when we graduated as seniors, there were still about 20 of us that came regularly on Bible studies. And normally in the youth group, we can expect maybe like one kid per graduating class to actually stick around and be a leader. From my grade, from Chris Pletcher's group, we had six guys alone. Six guys stuck around and said, you know what? That, yeah, that's what I want to do. That's what I'm going to do with college. And within that, when I became a volunteer leader, I was one of those guys. My sophomore year, I started working with a group of kids who were juniors as well, who weren't always the best kids. But I started pouring into a couple of them. One of them was a guy named Scott Colson, and one of them was a guy named Ryan Mason. And today... Scott Colson's in Colorado doing Young Life, pouring into kids, building up the body. Ryan Mason is here in town, but he does Young Life in Brenham. He goes out there and he loves kids and he thinks about them and he prays for them. And he does that. Not because of me, but because I tried to exalt God the same way that I saw Chris exalt God for my sake. It all traces back to Chris and Clayton, who are willing to follow God for the sake of the O's around them. So as the men start to head back to prepare communion for us, as we are about to honor the tradition of communion, which is nothing mystical or magical, but instead is just a way for us to help remember what Christ did for us, as they prepare that for us, I would ask that you would just take a moment and think about where does God want you? Because if you're a Christian, if you are a member of the church, then this is your purpose. And I don't know where it's going to be. Maybe, it's, maybe you need to come and talk to me about doing youth ministry. Maybe you need to talk to me about doing Club 56. Maybe you need to go on our website and look up information about home groups or, or adult Bible fellowships. I don't know. I don't know where you are specifically. But as we take our bread and our juice... I would ask that you would take this time, talk to God. Just ask him, where will you be most effective for his name? Where can you assist the church? Where can you exalt him for the sake of others so that the body would build itself up in love? Because it doesn't end with you. The church isn't all about you. It's about your relationship with God and your relationship with people.
This church isn't a place where you're just supposed to come, sit once a week, and learn theological knowledge. It is designed for us to exalt God for the sake of the believers and non-believers around us. So where do you fit in? Pray with me. Lord, again, I, I just come to you grateful, thankful for the time that you've given us here. Thankful for, the, for just the building to meet in, the, the people to be surrounded with. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just take this morning and, and file it away. That instead something would sink in. That we wouldn't just use this as knowledge, as more padding. But instead we would have something sink in straight to our hearts. That would then show itself through our actions that all of us would, would benefit in some way, not just for our sake, but, God, for the sake of those around us. Lord, I pray that those of us that are considering getting plugged in and, and, and getting involved in a ministry and, and helping other people for your sake, God, I pray that you would give them the boldness to talk to someone today, to send an email, to come talk to me. God, please, don't let this morning go to waste. Don't let your words go to waste. Lord, as we sing this last song, I pray that you would just bless the words that come out of our mouth or, or bless the time that we maybe just sit in silence and pray. God, help us just reflect on who you are and what you've done and what we want to do in response. Praise on your son's name. Amen.